0: Hoi, and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 61 for the week of September 9th, 2019. I'm Mike McComb, and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben! Hey Mike! We are a pair of Americans trying to fathom the depths of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be going overboard talking about our host's country, the Netherlands. Have we worked in all of the nautical puns at thank this you, point? Yeah, okay, thank you for taking my <laughs> note that
1: we should really pile on all of the boat things now, just in case the Netherlands decides that despite being in the Rotterdam Ahoy, we are not going to talk about boats at all because Portugal did that two years ago. That way we can hedge our bets. And if they decide to go with a different theme like unity or togetherness, we're, we're all covered and we can just blast full steam ahead on that. There we go.
0: Yeah, we're, we're learning, folks. So... <laughs> <laughs> exactly we
1: we will figure it out we will once the official theme is dropped we will be right here to pick it up yes in the meantime happy eurovision new year mike happy
0: eurovision new year oh it's such so an exciting similar time similar
1: to labor day yeah similar to labor day in the united states welcoming in the new academic year september 1st is the new eurovision year And oh boy, we have so many announcements that have happened in the two weeks since we last recorded.
0: Yes. As we've alluded to, Rotterdam was selected as the host city. The venue will be Rotterdam Ahoy for next year's contest which will be held on May 12th for the first semifinal, May 14th for the second semifinal, and May 16th for the grand final.
1: And if you are extremely online like I am and you spend way too much time on Twitter, you notice in your Eurovision column on TweetDeck that somebody was like, oh, hey, uh, they already have a Rotterdam 2020 page if you look on the country page. Uh and apparently that was a big oopsie.
0: Oh man, the biggest of oopsies. <laughs> the,
1: the the yeah, the biggest of oopsies. They were doing so well. I saw that and immediately went over to the country page to to verify for my with my own eyes that yes, this page did exist and no there was not a Mastreaked 2020 if you entered that into the URL, so oops. And then like <laughs> ten minutes later there was but the URL structure was different, which meant that it was probably a rush job.
0: Yeah, I, I just feel so bad for the person who was responsible for this happening. Just because it's as somebody who like maintains our website and uh, like does does a lot of content management stuff in in my day to day. Sometimes those scheduler plugins just don't work the way that you intend for them to. Like, here here's my theory on what happened. Just kind of based on when the leak happened. I noticed this at about lunchtime, uh, Chicago time, which would be the end of the day in Geneva. And yeah, I could just sort of see this person, the person responsible for this being like, all right, I'm going to save this as a draft to publish at 1159 central time on Friday. And possibly that the central time that was selected was US central time rather than central European time and then didn't double check the date. Yeah, I just think it was just kind of a confluence of errors that caused it to publish early.
1: I mean, and if not, like I've worked in website deployment before and I've accidentally pushed
0: the button Mm -hmm.
1: before you're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Like, we made that mistake. We're humans.
0: Yeah, and kudos to them to kind of try to do a rush job to fix it, but like, as as you were mentioning where it's just like the fake Maastricht webpage just didn't have the right structure and it just had like placeholder images instead of an official like venue image and nice try but like really kind of missed on some of the details but i love that the well, ebu it, it, like put out like their history of the timeline and it's totally revisionist <laughs> and it just like completely it, it, yes, ignores the... yeah
1: yeah mistakes happen and
0: i mean at least it wasn't a case of oh everybody getting like really excited for rotterdam and then it did end up being maastricht because i could see that being Oof. oh yeah that, that
1: that almost would have been worse yeah yeah at this point any song is eligible now that it's 9-1 Which, if you look at the news lately, it's mostly just that, hey, all the nations are starting up their selection processes. Mm -hmm. Or or things like, Sweden's having a writing camp. It's like, yes, Sweden has a writing camp every week. They make all of the pop music in the world. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) This is Tuesday for them. Yes. This is Tuesday. (laughs) But yeah, if you are interested in getting in on the songwriting process, the Swiss process is open, and it's open to anyone. Like, you don't have to be of Swiss residency to submit your entry. So uh, get on that, folks. We'd love to hear it. How's our mailbag looking? It's been a few weeks. It's getting pretty full. Yeah, some people have reached out to us regarding the last couple of episodes. Patrick wrote in to ask about the prioritization grids that we had mentioned in our UK Gut Rehab episode. We talked about using these grids uh, when we're doing our own rankings for the semifinals Mm -hmm. and the finals and what resource we use for that.
1: I Google the phrase Beverly Ryle Random. There is this great website from John Aquino. This prioritization grid is a tool from Beverly Ryle, and it's supposed to be like a a job hunting, what color is your parachute sort of a deal Mm -hmm. that I've just retrofit for Eurovision purposes.
0: Same. Exactly the same.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, yeah, I think you introduced me to that, and I liked that I could break a lot of decisions into their individual Mm subparts, but I also wanted to be able to do that in a very random sort of way so that I'm not overweighing later options compared to earlier options. And so what this allows me to do is plop in a big list of things, and then it just serves me up two at a time, and I pick which one, I, and I just sort of smash the button for which one I like more until I, I run out of things to smash.
0: I use the same sort of grid. I tend not to use the randomized one, partly because the randomized one doesn't offer a back option in case you choose wrong. And I do kind of like seeing the full layout of the grid, just because maybe maybe this is my own bias speaking, but sometimes I want to go back and be like, oh, really? I put... That one above the other one, eh, I think I'm going to go switch that. And that's usually where I end up getting wrong in my predictions. Mm -hmm. We'll have links to both of the grid uh, types that we use in our show notes. It really is a handy tool. I think the random one is better when you're dealing with 26 or 27 options to choose from. Yeah. Like trying to get that grid onto a single page is... Uh, kind of yeah like that i think that's why i swapped over to the random method (laughs) Mm -hmm. is
1: that i want to have
0: everything on one page yeah you can sort of do it with 18 or 19 entries if you kind of retool the zoom on the site but it gets a little tiny so (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) other tech that we've used on our site derek wrote in to let us know that he was going back through some older episodes uh from last season and came across the one where we talked about creating the lyric generator. He said it was a great experience trying to get something semi-coherent. That's always the goal. Uh, What I came up with isn't too long, but I hope you all get a kick out of it. Here is the song that Derek came up with. Giggling cover feels like there's no limit. Do your eyes that never say goodbye hide in the sky, remembering for every day. Duplicating down the Rockefeller street, moving because I'm tired of being your sweet, moved by the way you look at me, guys like a star guiding me. Blindfold, you're not alone, seeking for you, life for you and me, darkness for the lonely silence. Seas cry free, wishes like thunder, blessing wild, but we're not meant to stay. I think that works. Yes. <laughs>
1: I'm just so happy that our beautiful child is getting used. Oh
0: yes, and uh, we do have that on our homepage right now. At yourwhat.com. dot com. So give it a whirl, and who knows, you could send it to Switzerland, and you may be representing Switzerland mm-hmm. next time. <laughs> <year>. So <laughs> to Switzerland gladly go. What the hell is this? Yes. Why are we getting yeah. seventeen of these?
1: Um, Please, that's, spam that said, like I found that the that the best way to. Uh, kind of work with it is to you kind of kind of prime the pump and think in a Eurovision song way and, you know, like an I wish or an I want mm-hmm. sort of a deal
0: and then let the machine finish the rest. Yes. Derek also tipped us off to uh another sort of AI. We fed a computer 500 Eurovision songs. And this is what it spat out uh, called Blue Jeans and Bloody Tears by uh Sweaty Machines and featuring uh Itzar Cohen uh, from Israel. It turned out really well. Like it uh and it has a really cute animation. We'll have a link to the video in the show notes. AI's fun, you guys. So yeah. <laughs> it's fun
1: it's fun giving a neural net like 50 years worth of material and just watching it go. Mhm.
0: Derek, thank you for sending that our way. Taylor wrote in to let us know uh, while she was studying abroad in Russia this summer. She was hearing a lot of Eurovision and Eurovision-adjacent songs uh, in the wild, but she also had the strange experience of hearing Lavinia's Perfect Life just in a food court in a mall in Moscow. As you do. That that sounds like the correct environment for that. I just, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, just, I just like that Lavinia's Perfect Life is just like the background soundtrack to food.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's your legacy, that's a pretty nice one to have. So, <laughs> other songs that uh, she's heard apparently, Siren Song is everywhere, which is no surprise. Only Teardrops, Denmark's winning entry from 2013. Mohambi's Hello from this year's Melfest. And like a whole bunch of this year's uh, national final participants. That's not a big surprise. The one that really kind of struck me as, huh, was Mary B., Krista Siegfried's entry for Finland uh, back in 2013, mm-hmm. which that seems kind of like a deep cut. Yeah. So it was just like, oh, I'm glad that that's still getting to play uh, even at a gingerbread festival in Vladimir. Neat. Uh- <laughs> okay.
1: I <laughs> don't know what of Spotify's pre-made playlists it's on, but good on you. Yeah, yeah. Gingerbread Festival in Vladimir. Yeah,
0: so like I was trying to think of like what the uh, like US analog of that would be. and I don't know, a moment like this just kind of playing randomly on the radio today, which seems really bizarrely out of place. <laughs> I don't know.
1: It'd be something like that or like whatever Justin Garini's hit was like playing at my local uh, fluff marshmallow spread festival.
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> has that happened are you speaking from experience
1: Um, I'm not speaking from the experience but we do have we do have a a marshmallow fluff festival it was
0: apparently made here Mm -hmm. Taylor, thank you for letting us know about that. And then from our last episode, Richard took issue with a comment uh, that was made about uh, how the audience uh, doesn't know how to applaud. Uh, He writes, uh, FYI, clapping rhythmically is an Israeli way of showing special enthusiasm, and maybe in other cultures. It has nothing to do with not knowing how to applaud. Uh, I've also heard it here in the US when the audience wants an encore. And yeah, that's. Totally fair Mm -hmm. uh, response. Very very fair. And as someone from the States where we give a standing ovation to everything. We are probably the last people to like judge other people's uh, applause styles. So <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: we are bad at it in so many different ways. Yeah. So
0: it's possible Truly. that Chris's comment was coming from a place of just like, no, don't be like us. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't want to suppose anything for him. But uh, thank you for the comment. Like, as always, we want you to call us on our nonsense uh, when it pops up. The main topic for this week is looking at our host country of the Netherlands. Before we get into Rotterdam proper, I thought it would be kind of fun to go through the history of the Netherlands at the Eurovision Song Contest. They were one of the original participants, and they won in 1957 with Cory Broken's Net Als Toon. She returned in 1958 to defend her title, and she finished in last place. (laughs) Sorry, Corey, Uh, but she represented the Netherlands a handful of times, and uh, she hosted one of the years that Netherlands hosted the contest. They also won in 1959. They were the first country to win the contest twice. They won in 1969 and in 1975. In 1958, the first time that they hosted was at Hilversum. And it was also the first time that the previous year's winner was the host. One thing I noticed
1: from 1958, because I've been following along with Stereo Gums, the number one series, Mm -hmm. is that
0: one of the entries that year is Volare. Yeah! Yeah, and surprisingly, that one did not win, despite its massive popularity even today. It finished third. That stereo gum write-up, they were kind of lukewarm about it, but it is One of the most successful Eurovision songs, Uh, it sold 22 million copies, and it won the first ever Record of the Year and Song of the Year at the Grammys.
1: That is just so bizarre that it had that kind of crossover. It was a different time.
0: Yeah, that kind of crossover, but also that Eurovision predates the Grammy Awards. Like, it's weird to think of those two as being contemporary in that sort of way. So this is
1: like a weird, like quick road to go down but like so i picked up a compilation of all of the eurovision winners until about 1999 sometime last year and the version of Valaria it has is like super different oh really like it's not like the slower three and a half minute version it's like a just under two minute version that has like a weird herb alperty kind of kick to it huh. yeah and that's the version that's officially on the album which i think is probably because it's not supposed to be there because like there's that one and then a couple other like not actually winners but well-known enoughs Like, congratulations. Interesting. Huh. In
0: 1960, since the Netherlands won again uh, in 1959, they declined to host since they had just hosted in 1958, and it was already proving to be kind of an expensive undertaking. But they did have the distinction of being the first country to win twice. In 1970, Amsterdam was the host, and that was as a result of the big tie that happened in 1969, where there were four countries that ended up winning. The UK, Spain, France, and the Netherlands. UK and Spain were just like, nope, we're good. We don't need to host. And it came down to a coin toss between Netherlands and France. Uh, It's unclear who won that coin toss. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Was the win for if you don't host or if you do? Yeah. Oh, loser gets to host it twice. Uh, So... (laughs) This was another one where, like, it was kind of a launch pad for international stardom because uh, Julio Iglesias finished fourth for Spain at this contest. Why are
1: like these are not the trivia questions that pop up when Eurovision pops up at trivia in America? Like, America focuses mostly on ABBA and Celine Dion, but there is a world of other.
0: Notable name. Yeah, yeah. Just this kind of random associations. In 1976, uh, The Hague hosted the contest, and this was one that was hosted by Corey Broken. And the winner for that one was The UK with the song Save Your Kisses for Me. But this song felt so familiar to me. I mean, it was definitely a very mid 1970s kind of pop folksy. Song.
1: Yep. Yeah. Like it's very much of its time. Mm-hmm.
0: It's also very much in my wheelhouse. <laughs> and yeah, mm-hmm. saw that it hit number twenty-seven in the U.S. and was number one on the easy listening chart. And it's like one that I feel like I've probably heard before in some other context. It 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 still felt like Eurovision had this like massive crossover effect that seems to be associated with the Netherlands. And then, as we mentioned in our last episode, after the nineteen seventy nine contest, Israel declined to host a second time in a row. Uh, I guess they won that coin toss. Uh, The Netherlands stepped in to host again. It was kind of a scramble because they were kind of fourth choice to host at this point. And they're just Mm -hmm. like, all right, uh, the Hague's still open. We've got the stage stuff in cold storage. We can just pull that out, and they ended up being the pinch hitter for that. Well, yeah, and like, I think one thing
1: we had mentioned last episode is that Eurovision had been taking place in March. 1980 took place in April. So yes, uh, they were kind of scrambling.
0: Yeah, and just kind of due to an oversight and scheduling limitations, the contest was scheduled on Holocaust Memorial Day, and Israel's like, we can't participate. So they hold the distinction of being the only country to not defend their title. And those are the times that they've won, Mike. Mm-hmm. Now tell me about the losses. Tell me about
1: the not-so-good stuff.
0: Well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, 1958, they were the defending champions and finished in last place. 62 and 63, they finished in last. 1968 was not a great year. And then in 2011, they finished in absolute last place. Like, they finished last in their semifinal and had the fewest points among all the semi-finalists i'm particularly embarrassed about that one because that was my first year of doing eurovision coverage and i picked them to advance so (laughs) the song's fine i don't know if it holds up all that well now but i don't know i liked it so
1: (laughs) i'm quietly sitting over here scrolling over to look at which year that was okay it was never alone
0: It's fine like it, it's yeah uh <laughs> it's fine
1: <laughs> i was i was mostly just trying to remember if that was the year that they had the calliope and no that was 2010. no
0: that was 2010 uh <laughs> and i think that one did better than that anyway uh, uh netherlands is oh, <laughs> moving on uh, <laughs> i don't know why that made last so one, but it did netherlands has only missed four contests uh they missed 85 and 91 because of national holiday conflict And then in 95 and 2002, that was when relegation was used to determine who actually got to compete, and Netherlands just did not qualify those years. Pretty good attendance record. Their biggest challenge was from 2005 to 2012, where uh, Eurovision had switched to a semifinal format, and Netherlands just could not qualify I'm not entirely sure what the deal with that was. Uh, in 2005, Glennis Grace, who we talked about quite a bit last summer, because she was on America's Got Talent for reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. like
1: Because we because we had to pay attention to America's Got Talent. Yeah,
0: yeah. But uh, yeah, she was their representative in 2005, didn't advance. And yeah, they really tried everything, it seemed like. They were doing internal selections, they had national selections, they tried songs of all different styles and things that felt current-ish in some cases. Like the 2010 entry was really dated, 2011, nah, it was fine, not really I, 2011 I mean, sound. I, but. I'm
1: looking up the details of 2010 and they asked the man from the Smurfs, well specifically the guy uh, who wrote the Smurfs song, to, to write an entry and that's how we got Syneky. Oh. If I remember that national selection process correctly, they had multiple genres of that song oh. happening and that's the one that won.
0: Okay. Oh oh. Yeah. Oh oh. Yeah, oh it dear. was
1: it was it was a dark time and they've they've since brought things internal and that's been a very smart choice as we saw this
0: year. Yeah, like in 2013, like they were just like, "All right, we're going to send one of our biggest pop stars." And yeah, if Anouk had not qualified, I would not be surprised if Netherlands would have just been like, you know what? We're just going to sit out for a while and we'll come back when we feel like it. And uh, fortunately, that did not happen for them.
1: Well, Anouk did well, and mm-hmm. then the Common Linets did
0: really well. Yeah, they really adopted sort of the country vibe for the most part. Um, 2015 was a little bit of a bobble. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. Trinity, Yeah, that, that was just a lot of unfortunate staging and just a song that didn't really go anywhere, but pretty successful since switching to that. And I think part of it might be the voice of Holland, the epicenter of the voice phenomenon. And that's what's been fueling so much Eurovision this decade like so many people are voice alumni and that may be the secret sauce here
1: that was a wonderful thumbnail sketch of that thank you of just sort of the history of the contest Uh, so let's talk about rotterdam like i'm super excited about rotterdam because i've been there before and i kind of like i'm i'm just excited that i know like i have like a little bit of a mental map of that city
0: excellent
1: although i have not been in the area where the rotterdam ahoy is so i'm very excited about that okay
0: well how how Big of a city is
1: Rotterdam, just in terms of kind of population size and that sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. If we were hosting Eurovision in America for some reason, uh, if if everybody got sick, um, <laughs> it, it was it was, it would be as though we had gotten it down to Los Angeles, you know, a very large city, one of our largest, and Detroit. Okay at least just in terms of like rotterdam is i want to say the second largest city in the netherlands is it's a port city it is a a major shipping center Mm. uh, and it's also like really branded itself as sort of a hub for innovation and for architecture because in the 40s when world war ii happened a bunch of it got bombed Mm. uh, and then they just rebuilt in in fancy metal and glass okay and like it's great because you walk around and you have all this really, really interesting architecture, like the Market Hall. But then you'll like walk down the street and you'll have City Hall, one of the last remaining buildings. There's this one cathedral that is still standing after all of the bombing. I enjoyed visiting Amsterdam when I was over the, in the Netherlands. And Amsterdam is great and very touristy and feels very Boston to me. And that's very walkable. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of old history stuff. But like Rotterdam had this this very technical vibe that I really liked. Ooh. Yeah. One thing I have loved about this process is that the Dutch have been very open. Everybody's bid books are out there. So if you look at the Rotterdam bid book and they have that in both Dutch and English, the venue is, as we've discussed, the Rotterdam Ahoy. Uh, It has a max capacity of 16,000 people. Probably less for Eurovision, just because they're probably not going to do in-the-round staging, but who knows? That venue has hosted the the EMAs for MTV the European Music Awards in 1997 and 2016. Those are pretty big, yeah. and they also hosted uh, Junior Eurovision in 2007. Okay. And then, just looking through other parts of the bid book, administrative events are going to be happening at Rotterdam City Hall. Again, that's like one of the older buildings in town. Possible taglines, although all of the all of these are like just general enough to be believable yeah yeah as as like the the official slogan anything is possible make it happen and then the 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 one during the bid was rotterdam for real
0: maybe we need to come up with a slogan generator uh to go with the eurovision lyrics (laughs) generator (laughs) eurovision 2020 hands (laughs) (laughs) nothing after
1: that just hands Anyways, uh, one other part of the proposal I thought was very interesting, and I kind of hope it comes to fruition, even though it feels like a little bit of a traffic nightmare, is for the opening ceremony, they want to take the Erasmus Bridge, and they want to put the gold carpet on that. And they have made very clear that the gold carpet is going to be made of recycled material. Mm. I was just very pleased looking through this bid book. They've thought through everything except for, like, a couple things. And there are a couple things where you're like, yeah, you guys have time to think about that.
0: Yeah, like, I think the one TBD that jumped out to me was the economic impact surveys and stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, they're not going to figure out all of the ins and outs of that particular research project in a preliminary stage. But, uh, yeah, it totally makes sense that they would, like, now that they know that they're going to be hosting. It's like, yeah, we'll we'll get you those details by the end of the week.
1: It was a very nice bid book. I see Mm -hmm. why they won. It felt like most of the cities having looked through multiple bid books had thought through this in a very careful way but like Rotterdam it really felt like they wanted this and they had really thought through all the little details. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk accommodations. I am slightly kicking myself for not seeing that leak and preemptively booking one of the Airbnbs I had had my eye on. Yeah. Uh because when I woke up and the, the official the official announcement had happened, it was America time which meant that, that it's been kind of a feeding frenzy or at least it was because there were not hotels and airbnbs were available but at very ridiculous prices that said sure i'll leave my house for a week for you know a thousand bucks a night
0: (laughs) yeah like i saw one listing that was oh a comfortable studio for six and i was like uh i (laughs) (laughs) i saw that one too i'm like on what earth yeah, it's like, it can be comfortable or it can house six people. I don't think they can happen simultaneously. <laughs> so. Well,
1: and like one one thing that, that greatly uh, delighted me was there was a number of houseboats available, which felt very Dutch. Mm-hmm. And I was entirely on board with that but then i was like what if i don't like sleeping on a boat yeah
0: yeah and it was starting to look like that that was going to be the only option at that point because everybody in europe had the time advantage because the announcement came out at lunchtime for them which is still like sleepy time for uh, us in the states for, for, so <laughs> yeah. uh
1: but yeah like don't get discouraged multiple blocks are going to open up mm-hmm. people are going to soften on those airbnb rates it's not over yet. It, it's just begun. Yeah. Uh but also like it's worth noting it's super easy to get around the Netherlands. They have trains. It's great. The Hague, Delft, Breda and Dordrecht are all reasonably accessible commuting for the contest is definitely gonna be an option they're definitely gonna have the trains running for this Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and in in the previous years that i've been to eurovision like they also like expand all of their transit options in kiev like their trains usually close up at around midnight uh but they're just like oh no we're going till at least 2 a.m just because like we've got a whole bunch of people (laughs) too who are kind of out in the boonies needing to get back into the city and yeah like Mm -hmm. getting around is not a problem
1: well i'm just thinking it's like any major sporting event at gillette stadium here in massachusetts Mm -hmm. where they're going to run a couple extra commuter rails because there's a bunch of people down in down by the stadium who want to get back to the city. Right.
0: Yeah. And I believe there's a train station that's like not too far from Rotterdam Ahoy. So uh, that is correct. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm just happy that it's happening in the Netherlands because getting to the Netherlands from the US is fairly easy. Mm-hmm. Ski Airport is a major hub for a lot of airlines. Uh, Delta partners with KLM. There, you know, and then you have all of like the smaller intra intra Europe airlines. So there's plenty of options there. And then Skipole is about 25 minutes by train to Rotterdam. If you if you take the express, there's also Rotterdam the Hague Airport, uh, which I did not know was a thing until this week, oh. and I've been <laughs> there before. So it's definitely more of a regional airport, uh, unless you're gonna so unless you're gonna be coming in from someplace else in Europe, maybe focus on Skipool. Alternately, if you're in Europe before the contest, why not take the train?
0: I think that's our plan. We're still hammering out a number of the details. It's like, oh it'll just be easier to do that, and there's a very good chance that we'll be able to like stop off in Belgium on the way to Rotterdam. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I currently have my eye on Copenhagen, mm. so I may be planning it in, but we'll see.
0: And I think there's even a train from like London to Netherlands. And it's not not... Not a long trip. If you count airport time, it could end up being faster to go by train than to fly, even if the flight itself is only, like, 45 minutes.
1: I keep looking at places where that's not the case, where it's like, no,
0: you should take a plane. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) It's like...
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well i keep looking at places like copenhagen and finland where it's like you can take a train for 16 hours or you could just take a plane in those cases
0: yeah <laughs> probably pre- a your yeah. pre-eurovision experience may vary <laughs> yes
1: oh i forget if it was in the packet or if it was just someplace else about the bid book for rotterdam saying that they have the most glamorous mcdonald's in, in all <laughs> in all of the land uh but i saw that somewhere and i knew exactly what mcdonald's they were talking about and they're not incorrect it's it's like a it looked very efficient it had two levels okay they no longer have the the Stroopwafel McFlurry but maybe Mm. they'll bring it back for Eurovision maybe (laughs) maybe uh let's what else do we know at this point instead of just sort of hypothesizing about how beautiful the McDonald's will be next year
0: well, as of this recording, there are 32 countries that have indicated that they're going to participate. That number may change by the time this episode goes live. So yeah, it could be 60 countries. It won't be 60 countries, but- It won't be 60 uh, countries. Where did
1: all these countries yeah, come was from? Yeah, I like,
0: what? Kazakhstan will not be one of them.
1: Kazakhstan is not, is not allowed. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, EBU has said, no, we're not extending an invitation this year. So uh, the Netherlands has also announced that they are planning on doing a fully internal selection, which is going to be the first time that's happened since israel did that in 1999 so first time this millennium the host country doing full internal i i, I don't know how momentous that actually is I mean, but <laughs> yeah,
1: like the netherlands doesn't want to fix what isn't broken mm-hmm.
0: that was my thought exactly like
1: the the eyes of europe are on them they're not going to switch back to to uh open selection yeah and especially if knowing that generally you don't want to win two years in a row it seems smart to to keep things internal, because that way you can find a good entry, but not too good an entry.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing that I'm curious about, is just, like, how is Netherlands going to play this? Like, are they going to be legitimate in sending, like, a very strong entry, or are they going to go...
1: Or are they going to send someone who does armpit farts for three minutes?
0: I... Would be here for that. Like <laughs> Yeah, like I would. <laughs> they would need to win the audience just, if it happened. <laughs> we, we joke now, but next uh, year when it wins. Yeah. I mean, they just got to make sure that they have a lyric in there. So... Uh. <laughs>
1: I'm just thinking about the techno remix, and it's making me smile. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Seventh Heaven, yeah. (laughs) Anyways,
1: just some other things that are set in stone. Uh, The head of delegations meeting, which is also the submission deadline, is March 9th. So we will have all of the songs by March 9th next year. Yeah, and then the goal is for tickets to go on sale by the end of the year and be less expensive than the tickets for this year, which feels like the lowest of bars to clear.
0: I think the ticket's goal is always to have it be by the end of the year preceding the contest. But, you know, all of those logistics, like it depends on like what stage design they end up going with and how they have to block out the venue for cameras and the equipment and all of that. But I'm really excited about this. Like everything's looking mm-hmm. great so far. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thank you for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Mike McComb. That's me and Ben Smith. That's me. You can find us on our website at Eurowhat.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eurowhat. Do you have any travel tips to share or thoughts about Rotterdam as a host city? We'd love to hear your questions and comments. You can subscribe to the Eurowhat on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. Next time on the Eurowhat, we'll be talking about the last time the Netherlands hosted the contest, specifically Morocco's first and only time that they've participated. We'll also try to make sense of what's going on in Eurovision.